Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. My name is Jody Avergan. This day, August 18, 1976, a new book hits the bookshelves. The book was Roots, Alex Haley's sprawling epic tracing his family back to a person by the name of Kunta Kinte, and in many ways tracing the history of slavery and the African-American experience in this country. Roots was a sensation, a massive bestseller of a book, and as you likely know, an epic television miniseries not long after. But, um... Today we'll talk mostly about the book and I guess the roots of roots and here to uh, discuss that are, as always, Nicole Hammer of Vanderbilt and Kelly Carter Jackson of Wellesley. Hello there. Hello, Jody. Hey there. And we should, of course, say, Kelly, you edited a book called Reconsidering Roots, Race, Politics and Memory. Uh, So this is very much in your uh, in your wheelhouse. Oh, yes. Um, I'm excited to dive in. This is great. Yeah, for sure. We've been doing a lot of my favorites lately. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I got to say, you know, I want to hear all about the, the book and so forth. But, you know, one thing that just caught my eye, 1976, there's a bicentennial going on. I'm wondering if you can just sort of talk about Roots arriving in the midst of, of that, because I think oh, yeah. the summer of, of what it was like in the summer of 1976, in terms of people thinking about this country's history, was a really interesting moment for this book. To oh, arrive. man. So, yeah, it's the, you know, the 200 year celebration. And in that moment, if you are watching TV, I believe this is also the same year that Gone with the Wind is re-aired on national television and it is the highest ranking show of all time, which I think is really telling about where we are as a country Mm. and Mm -hmm. that we're celebrating the 200th anniversary and people want nothing more than to rewatch Gone with the Wind, right? (laughs) Like, I think it says a lot. So when Alex Haley comes on the scene with his book, um, there was nothing else like it really on on the market that people could get this full history of what it might be like to be enslaved, to live through the the Middle Passage, survive the Middle Passage, uh, survive slavery, and then have a story of descendants telling what that life was like. Um, Yeah, Roots was just a phenomenal piece of literature and not too many things have sort of um, had that explosive entrance (laughs) in the literary world. Um, I will say, you know, this book was, I think, 
and I'm sure there's a there's a story here, but you know, it was originally going to publish in 1970, and then mm-hmm. 71, it kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed, and then it arrives in 76 in this really interesting moment. But I don't think that was the plan all along was no. for Alex Haley to be like, well, I'm going to offer the counter narrative to the lost cause mythology, which is you know, <laughs> bubbling up in the 200th anniversary. But you know, very interesting. It's crazy. Um, he took yeah. way too long. I mean, he pushed back <laughs> deadline after deadline after deadline with this book. Part of the reason he was pushing it back is because he was also he wasn't just writing the novel he was also writing it for TV at the same time hmm. so he's like mm. writing the script he's imagining it first as as like a TV show and then he's thinking about the novel um because they come out you know one after the other and so it's crazy. There's a really good book for those who want to do a deep dive by Matt Delmont. It's called Making Roots, A Nation Captivated. And it's the, really the only book that talks about the making of this book. And it's so fascinating to see how Alex Haley is touring the country. He's going all to college campuses, anywhere for anyone who will hear him telling the story of the African saying the book is going to come out soon. And of course, it's years before it does. But he was on the lecture circuit for almost a decade before the book came out. The other interesting part of that origin story is that this was initially supposed to be a book about his family and his his childhood Mm. growing up, I think, in in North Carolina. And Mm -hmm. he then takes it all the way back to Africa. And I think that that's it gets at part of the resonance, which was for many black Americans tracing back your roots, you could do it a generation, a couple generations. Mm -hmm, But then because mm -hmm. of slavery and those broken networks, you kind of had to stop. And he was like, oh, no, look, we can actually trace this all the way back to Africa. Not just Africa, the specific village in Africa. Like, he got very, very specific, which most people can say Africa, West Africa, maybe, you know, Ghana or or Senegal. But to be able to go back to the very village, um, highly unlikely. Yeah. Well... Speaking of Here, speaking of ask. highly <laughs> speaking of highly un- unlikely in the tone of your voice, I mean, you know, I first off, I think that is really fascinating that he sort of did start, I think, with a more modest or whatever you want to call it thing of like writing a personal memoir. I don't think of modest and Alex Haley as that often <laughs> linked, but you know, I think the ambition for this, and then it became this sprawling, sprawling work. But it it was also, I mean, he. Did he call it faction, like a, a mix between fact and fiction? Okay, and I mean, so... like, I read that it was it was marketed as fiction, but sh- but was on the nonfiction shelves in bookstores. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what's what's going on there? Publishers, man, they they really botched. <laughs> <laughs> they really botched this. So what happened was they they initially said we're going to make this nonfiction. This is a true story, which is kind of hard to believe because like there are quotes in it. You know what I mean? Like how do yeah. you have quotations from, that are like two hundred years old of, of dialogue? You, there's dialogue in it. So yeah. um so initially they had marketed as as nonfiction and then. Because people were questioning so much the veracity of this book, they said, well, it's a mix between uh, fact and fiction. We're going to call it faction, uh, which they've never done for any other book before. Um, And, you know, he, he gets into some real hot water, not just because of the veracity of the book, but also shortly after the book debuts, the scandal of plagiarism starts to um contaminate the the air and Alex Haley has to give account for how he actually wrote this book. Do you think that undercut his work in any way? You know, it's interesting. I think that black people especially were so starved for a story like this that they didn't care 
that it was plagiarized. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing research for it, most people did not know about this scandal. So Alex Haley pays off um, uh, Harold Corlander, who was the one who uh, took him to court. And Alex Haley also gets accused of plagiarism by a woman by the name of Margaret Walker Alexander, who also tried to sue him. She lost her case, um, but he kept it very hush-hush. He, he settled out of court. He gave sort of a, a passive apology, like, I don't know how these words made their way into my book, as though words can just get up and walk into your page. But like... <laughs> um, but he makes this little, you know, this this apology, and then that's sort of it. I mean, the I don't even know how to explain how big Roots was. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. people were selling T-shirts. People were naming their children Kunta and Kinte. You know, like, people were going to historical societies and trying to find their own family genealogy. White people were going to find their own family genealogy. Like, <laughs> it was an immigrant story that people connected to, not just an African-American story. And so... People didn't want to hear anything negative. Yeah. They wanted to believe because it gave them a sense of pride and a sense of hope that they had not had before. Just as a, a metric, I mean, 15 million copies of this yeah. book sell, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Um, Haley wins a Pulitzer Prize Special Award for Roots. He wins a National Book Award Special Citation. So there are, there's this way in which... At the time, it becomes clear that the book needs to be recognized, even if it doesn't fit in the right categories for a Pulitzer or for a National Book Award. They're like, we need to do something to acknowledge um, the the power of this book. Yeah, and you know, I I don't know if Haley. This is this is not excused. <laughs> the plagiarism or some of the faction um, involved in this, but you know, I think part of what Haley is pointing out here is that we have histories that have been either not recorded in the mm-hmm. first place or actively erased. And so when you're mm-hmm. trying to do the work of telling those stories, it is difficult and you have to use, um, for lack of a better word, you know, imagination um, and sort of um, in order to, to start to tell these stories. And I think that's how a lot of people have kind of come to come to see it as a work of, mm-hmm. um, of imagination and a work of trying to rescue a larger story than just the specific facts of his genealogy. Yeah. Um, it's also... Yeah, no. I was going to say, it's, it's also powerful because for all of his problems with uh, the truth, Alex Haley is an extraordinary storyteller. I don't know if yeah. you've ever listened to an interview. There's a really good interview with him on Terry Gross uh, NPR. And he's telling the story of how he wrote um, Malcolm X's autobiography. And I was like gripped. I was gripped listening to him because he's so good at using metaphors and coloring this really graphic detailed story and his language is so powerful that I mean that is part of the the lore is that you can't just make up the story you have to tell a good story and he knew how to tell a good story and how much does the arrival of the TV show, which is just what one year later, yeah, one year. I mean, later. how much does that sort of overwhelm? I mean, I bet you there's people who probably don't even realize that Roots was a book, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so, <laughs> yeah. what's the what's the interplay there? How much does that kind of um, obscure the kind of questions mm. about the scholarship here? Mm-hmm. Um, and how much how much further does the does the TV series take the take the story? Well. It- it didn't need it, but it almost gets a second life with the TV uh, series because people are reading books, but much many more people are, are watching TV. And it becomes one of the highest rank 
uh, TV miniseries of all times. Um, and it's just so interesting, like talking to people and hearing their responses because everyone remembers Roots of a certain age. Everyone remembered what their response was like when they watched it. And it was so um, visceral. They had strong, strong feelings of, you know, the the moment when he's whipped and forced into saying his name is Toby. The moment when, um, you know, uh, Kizzy has this relationship with the, the slave uh, holder's daughter. There's all of these moments when the father is holding him up and says, you know, behold, the only thing greater than yourself to the galaxy. I mean, there are just these real pivotal moments that people don't forget. And so in some ways... I can't say that the book gets overshadowed because I think that people watched the series and then they wanted to go back to the book and mm-hmm. people read the book and then they wanted to watch uh, the series. But it was so big. It's it's the last thing that Alex Haley ever wrote. He didn't write anything after that. Which is kind of, I mean, he di- he dies in the early 90s, but you know, mm-hmm. so that's a, that's a decade and a half where he doesn't write again. But it's like, if you think about Toni Morrison, Toni Morrison has Beloved, but she has a ton of other books that come out after that. James Baldwin writes books, and he continues to write books. But Alex Haley kind of rested on his laurels. But I also think that part of the scandal Hmm. undid him so much that he didn't feel like he could write something else. Yeah, you can understand the psychology of that, to have this book that becomes bigger than anything you could have ever imagined. And then to, like, the payout that he paid to Corlander was worth what would be today $2.7 million. That's a tremendous amount of money. And just, like, having to admit that some of the work came from someone else, it's just, it's a lot psychologically. Paying a lot of alimony. He got divorced multiple (laughs) times. So a lot of times he's on the lecture circuit to pay his ex-wives. And it's problematic. I think Alex Haley shows that like when you put profit or money at the at the heart at the center of what it is that you're trying to do you can lose yourself a little bit and I (laughs) think that he got so caught Mm -hmm. up in the fame and the celebrity and the money that he lost sense of what was most important. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you mentioned Baldwin, and to sort of bring it back to where we started, James Baldwin reviewed the novel when it came out, the the work when it came out, and said, quote, I cannot guess what Alex Haley's countrymen will make of his birthday present to us during this election and bicentennial year. And I think it certainly did change um, change the conversation and open a lot of eyes. And also just a smaller thing that is just so fascinating, but, you know, this like, genealogy craze that I think it it, um, mm-hmm. it opened up is really fascinating. Just this idea of finding your roots and that's still a show that exists now. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's still, and, and ancestry.com has made that a lot more, you know, but I mean, I do think this is in many ways the, the start of a real concerted effort to, to trace family histories, especially among black Americans. For sure. For sure. I think uh, in a lot of ways, Timmy Lewis Gates has sort of picked up the Alex Haley mantle and sort of, if Alex Haley had the technology that Timmy yeah. Lewis Gates did, I feel like and it lived long enough. I feel like this is what Alex Haley would be doing for for everyone. Yeah. Well, if if Alex Haley had the technology, maybe he would have published his book in the fall of 1970 <laughs> instead of 1976. <laughs> yeah, <I> just, go, <laughs> go right on ancestry.com. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but no. uh, all right. Well, we will leave it there. Um, Nicole Hammer, thanks to you. Thanks, Jody. And Kelly Carter Jackson, thanks to you. My pleasure. I had a lot of trouble. I owed everybody I knew that would lend me anything. I was so far beyond deadline, it was terrible. 
uh, worse than that really was the whole psychic trauma of trying to recreate what it was like in that ship hold. And I remember I had this sensation that came to me that there was a way to solve it all. And that was simply all I had to do was step through that rail and drop in the sea. It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is, our democracy is broken. We can all feel it, and there's data to back it up, too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know what does have an impact, though? Money. You can call it lobbying, you can call it super PAC spending, you can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us slash podcast to find out more. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.